Hi, all. How's it going? Uh, you didn't shake anyone's hand, did you? That pesky H1N1 thing, you know? I said swine flu at the last service, and all the pig farmers got mad at me, so H1N1, you don't want to get that, I hear. Welcome to Journey. It's a privilege and delight to be with all of you. Happy Mother's Day. Moms, we love you around this place. Yeah, we absolutely do. And uh, big old congratulations to all of you who might have graduated from the big MSU this weekend, too. Way to go to you. Good job. Really proud of you. That's a haul, and it feels good to be done, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, In honor of you moms out there, I just wanted to sort of offer a few definitions from the official mother's dictionary. I learned a little from the official mother's dictionary. Maybe you will, too. Uh, in the B section of the Mother's Dictionary, B, a uh, bottle feeding. I looked this one up. Uh, a bottle feeding is an opportunity for daddy to get up at 2 a.m. too. That's what that is. And uh, D, in the D section, found this word, uh, defense. What you better have around the yard if you're going to let the children play outside. Defense. Uh, uh. I found the word drooling in the D section as well. Drooling, how teething babies wash their chins. How it gets clean down there. Uh, D is also for dumbwaiter, a dumbwaiter, which is one who asks if the kids want to order dessert. It's a dumbwaiter. <laughs> In the F section, uh, the words family planning. It's the art of spacing your children the proper distance apart to keep you right on the brink of financial ruin. <laughs> Feedback. The inevitable result when the baby doesn't appreciate the strained carrots. Feedback, right? Coming back at you. Uh, Also in the F section, full name. What you'd call your child when you're mad at him or her. By their full name. Grandparents. The people who think your children are wonderful even though they're sure you're not raising them right. (laughs) Strikes a chord, doesn't it? In the H section, found this word, hearsay. What toddlers do when anyone mutters a profane word. Hearsay, get it? Ah, this is one of my favorites. Uh, The word impregnable, right? A woman whose memory of labor is still quite vivid is impregnable. (laughs) And then L, we'll stop here. Look out what it's too late for your child to do by the time you scream it. Look out! Yeah, always too late. And moms, it's just true that you have an incredibly demanding and an incredibly challenging role, don't you? What you do is like a million miles from easy. And so challenging is your role that you actually deserve a whole lot more than just a single day of recognition for sure. Though I want you to know that around Journey, we turn it into a whole weekend of celebration. We started celebrating Mother's Day yesterday around this place. So just so you know. And uh, it's a common question. Where did Mother's Day come from? Where did Mother's Day originate? And it actually sort of picked up steam in the year 1908. Upon the death of her mother, there was this woman, her name was Anna Jarvis, and she picked up and carried on this Mother's Day cause that was actually originally started by the woman who composed the Battle Hymn of the Republic, a gal named Julia Ward Howe, all the way back in 1870. And Anna Jarvis just carried it down the field. Anna Jarvis petitioned for the holiday 
to be commemorated at the church where her mother had taught Sunday school for years and years. And so on May 10th, 1908, Andrews Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia, celebrated the very first modern Mother's Day with a very special service that honored all of the mothers in attendance with white carnations. They all received one at the conclusion of the service, which was Jarvis's mother's favorite flower. So lots of churches, they do that white carnation deal. Well, that's because it was Anna Jarvis's mother's favorite flower. And we're lots of churches still carrying that on to this day. By the year 1909, 46 different states were holding unofficial Mother's Day services. And it wasn't until 1912 when West Virginia was the very first state to make Mother's Day an official state holiday. They like closed all of the state offices and so on, which they didn't have to do because, well, it's Sunday. They were closed anyway. An official state holiday on Sunday. President Woodrow Wilson soon followed suit by declaring the second Sunday in May to be Mother's Day in the year 1914. Now this funny thing happens though. By the 20s, the 1920s, Anna Jarvis hated Mother's Day. She became soured on the commercialization of the Mother's Day holiday. There was this little company called the Hallmark Card Company that had started up and Anna Jarvis didn't like what they did. And so she, Anna Jarvis, incorporated herself as the Mother's Day International Association. She claimed a copyright on the second Sunday in May. I don't know how you do that. And she was even, check this out, sweet little Anna Jarvis, the woman who started Mother's Day. She was arrested once for disturbing the peace while protesting against the holiday that she actually started. She had a sister, her sister's name was Elsinore, and they spent their entire family inheritance campaigning against Mother's Day, and both died in utter poverty. Jarvis, said her New York Times obituary, became embittered, check this out, because so many people sent their mothers a pre-printed greeting card. Shame on you. Shame on you. She said these words. A printed card means nothing except that you're too lazy to write to the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. And candy, she said. You take a box of chocolate to mother and then eat most of it yourself. <laughs> a pretty sentiment, she said. And moms, I want you to know, you deserve a whole lot more than just a pre-printed greeting card and a box of chocolates for all you do and for all you are for your families. A whole lot more. Moms, you, get this, you matter. Moms, you absolutely matter. One evening, this guy, he came home from work, and he found a sudden increase of total mayhem at his family's house. Usually things around his place worked pretty good, but not this day. When he drove into the driveway, he found that his three young children were outside at the end of the day, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud, nonetheless, with empty food boxes and wrappers strewn all around the front yard. The door of his wife's car was wide open, keys still in the ignition. The front door of the house was wide open as well. Proceeding into the entryway and hoping to find calm, at least inside the house, he found instead an even bigger mess there. A lamp in the living room had been knocked over, laying broken in the corner. A throw rug was wadded up against the wall. In the front room, the TV was on and loudly blaring the cartoon network. The family room was strewn with toys and food and various clothing items. And the kitchen, oh my goodness, the kitchen... It resembled a war zone, like a bomb had gone off. Dishes piled high in the sink. Breakfast food spilled all over the counter. Dog food spilled all over the floor. A broken glass under the dining room table. There was even a pile of sand 
in front of the back door, a pile of sand inside the house in front of the back door. Now this man, as he's seeing all of this, is growing more and more concerned by the minute. He quickly heads up the stairs, tripping over toys and piles and piles of clothing, looking for his wife. He was worried. She must be ill or something very seriously has befallen her. Just then he turned the corner and entered the master bedroom of the house, and there lay his wife, lounging nonchalantly in the bedroom, curled up in the bed, still in her pajamas, reading a tawdry paperback novel. And the wife looked at her husband and smiled and asked, how did your day go, honey? And completely ignoring his wife's question, he looked at her quite bewildered and said, what the heck happened here today? She again calmly smiled and answered, you know how every single day, how when you come home from work, you ask me what in the world I did today? Yes, he said. Well, today I didn't do it. Today I didn't do it. And it's just true, moms. You do so much. If we were to be honest, moms, you're the glue that holds families together. And often we don't realize what we've got until it's gone or until you decide to take a day off or something. Moms, you just matter. And a good mother is more precious than the rarest of rubies. A good mother is to be highly cherished. But moms, we also want you to know that your role stretches far, far beyond just keeping the house clean and the kids neat and tidy. Because moms, really, you're like the family nurse, aren't you? You're the family doctor, even the family psychologist and family counselor. But you don't just limit yourself to those professional fields. You're also the family chauffeur, right? Even the family coach. Moms, you're the developers of personalities, you're the molders of vocabularies, you're the shapers of attitudes. Moms, you're the soft voices saying, I love you, I love you. And moms, you are a link, often children's first link to God, often providing the first impression of God's love, of God's character, of who God is. Moms, you matter. And just to prove that, this past week, uh, a website called salary.com, they do this thing every year that they call their mom's salary report. And this past week, they released their 2009 mom's salary report. It determines the value of the time that mothers spend performing the 10 most popular mom functions. For the year 2009, they determined that those 10 most popular mom functions would equate, watch this, to an annual cash compensation of $122,732 for a stay-at-home mom. $122,732 for a stay-at-home mom. An additional $76,184 for a working mom in addition to what she earns at her day job. See? And so families, dads, children, here's what that means for you. That the value of your mother, just based on her job description, based on what you would have to pay someone else to do if you were to hire someone to do everything that mom does, is over $122,000 a year for a stay-at-home mom. Plus an additional $76,000 if your mom works outside the home, you'd have to pay her $76,000 in addition to what she makes outside the home. And so I'm here to tell you, that by those numbers, that my wife and probably a whole bunch of you deserve a serious pay increase. Right, moms? 
Yeah, oh yes, an applause even. You matter, moms. And you don't just matter because of what you do, you matter because of who you are, actually. Who you are fundamentally at the core of your being matters. And I'm absolutely of the opinion that way too often some women are made to feel like they need to, some, for some reason, apologize for being a mother or for being a stay-at-home mom. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard women say, I'm just a mom, I'm just a mom. I'm going, just a mom? Stop it. Never let those words cross your lips, moms, please. Never say, I'm just a mom. In reality, your role as a mother is one of the most noble callings that God ever gives a human being. It just is. Please never say, I'm just a mom. One of my favorite professors in my years of academia was a guy named Tony Campolo, who has quite a reputation. Tony tells a story about the time when he was on the faculty at a university of Pennsylvania. They would have had faculty gatherings from time to time that spouses of faculty members were invited to attend. And Tony's wife was a stay-at-home mom. And inevitably, at those gatherings, some woman lawyer or sociologist professor or something would confront Tony's wife, Peggy, with the question, and what is it that you do, my dear? And if you know anything about Tony Campolo, you know that his wife is one of the most articulate individuals you would ever meet. She has a great response to that question, and what is it that you do, my dear? Here's what she said. I am socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the teleologically prescribed utopia inherent in the eschaton. I'll give it to you again. I am socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the teleologically prescribed utopia inherent in the eschaton. Did you get it? That time you did. And when Peggy would follow that answer with, and what is it that you do, the other person's, uh, I'm a lawyer, would seem quite insignificant, wouldn't it? Moms, don't ever let anyone minimize what you do as a mother because you matter. You absolutely matter. And you matter because of the incredible impact that you have on our lives. And just to show you how incredibly much you matter, I want to look at some moms from the sacred text today and just how much they impacted the lives of their children. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. It's not even going to be on the side screen, so if you've got a Bible... You can turn there, otherwise I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, the second book of the Bible. Exodus 2, 1. At this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. A certain feat, was it not? Keeping a baby hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds, waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in, who is this baby, by the way? Yes, this is Moses, good job. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the night. This is hilarious. Sometimes you hear people talk about this text and they make it sound like she made this little basket of papyrus reeds and then like set it into the raging rapids of the Nile River what? and then watched it careen out of sight down the river over the waterfall. no. Jacobed was a smart woman. She put the basket just right along the shore, right in the reeds where she knew it wasn't going to go hardly anywhere. The rest of verse, this is verse 4. 
The baby's sister, posted by mother, certainly, right? Then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. The man and woman in this text, the husband is Amram, the mom is Jacobed. That little baby was indeed Moses. You got that right. And they were Jews, which was a problem in this day. Because see, a decree had gone out from the Pharaoh, who was the Egyptian ruler who happened to hold all of the Israelites captive in this day, that all the male, the, the decree that went out was that all the male children of Israel were to be killed, murdered, drowned, annihilated. And they were. It was an utter massacre. Hundreds upon thousands of Jewish baby boys were slaughtered. But there was one mother who looked into her baby boy's eyes and could not bear the thought of his death. And so she hid him for as long as you can hide a baby boy. And when she couldn't hide him anymore, she put him in that basket, put him in the reeds, knowing exactly where the Pharaoh's daughter would come down. And the Pharaoh's daughter scooped up baby Moses. And could you imagine how Jacobed's heart would have broken? The thought of another woman raising her baby boy. The thought of another woman drying his tears when he fell down and skinned his knees. The thought of another woman tucking her son into bed every night. That would have been nothing short of crushing, right moms? But she knew that she had to do anything she could to protect baby Moses from Pharaoh. And if saving her son's life meant that he would never know her love, would never know the love that she had for him, then so be it, she said. She would protect him regardless of the cost. And moms, you matter because you protect your children. It's who you are fundamentally. And while most moms never need to make such a great sacrifice to protect their children, all moms are protectors. We all know moms who we refer to as like mama bears, right? And you don't want to tangle up with a mama bear. They protect us physically, morally, emotionally, spiritually. Moms are there to chase the boogeyman out from under our beds at night and to make sure we look both ways before we cross the street. Moms, you matter because you protect your kids. It's who you are. And moms, you also matter because you support your kids. You matter because you support your kids. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. If you've got a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. This is going to be a little cryptic, but I'll unpack it for you in just a moment. 1 Samuel 2, 19. Each year, his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Who's that? Well, that mom is Hannah. Mother's name is Hannah. And Hannah was a woman who wasn't able to have any children. And in Old Testament days, a barren woman, she would have lived a scorned and, scorned and shamed life. To make matters far worse, Hannah's husband's other wife, which is how it worked in those days, bore him children and then would tease barren Hannah because she was unable to have kids. But for Hannah, year after year, time and time again, her singular desire was to give birth to a son, to have a child. And so she, with regularity, went to the temple of God and she would throw herself out on the floor before the Lord, pleading with God to give her a son. And she prayed so long and so hard on one occasion that the priest actually thought she was drunk. The priest said, stop drinking, woman. She's like, I'm not drunk. I'm just praying. I just really want a kid. And she pledged to God over and over again that if, she, if he blessed her with a son, that she would dedicate him to the Lord and that he would serve in the house of the Lord forever and ever, all of his days. 
Well, eventually, God answered Hannah's prayer in the affirmative, didn't he? And she bore a son. His name was Samuel. That's exactly right. And Hannah weaned Samuel at a very early age and took him to the tabernacle at Shiloh where she gave him over to the priest to raise in God's service. But she did this really cool thing. She didn't just drop him off at the gate of the tabernacle and then turn her back never to return. Instead, every single year, and it was a considerable journey, mind you, every single year, Hannah made a trek back to Shiloh. She did that to worship God, but she also did it so that she could support her young son. And every time she went back to the tabernacle, she brought Samuel a coat, a coat that she no doubt made with her very own hands. And while she certainly wasn't raising Samuel, she did whatever she could to support him in his work. Samuel knew every year how much his mom loved him, how much she wanted him to succeed, and that she would do absolutely anything in her power to support him toward that goal. And moms, just like Hannah, you're you're your kid's number one supporters. When your kids come home one day and all of a sudden they want to join the band and play these silly things called drums, you rush out and you buy them against your better judgment. Maybe they want to play the trombone or, heaven forbid, even the tuba. You provide the tuba for them to play. When we suddenly decide that we want to be explorers in the deepest, darkest recesses of faraway Africa, you tell us you can do anything that you set your heart and mind to. When we get the lead part in the school play, you're on the front row cheering us on. And when someone else gets the lead role, you're the one who assures us that our part is the most important part, even though we might just be playing a rock. (laughs) Through thick and thin, through good and bad moms, you support us through it all, every day. You matter, moms. You matter because you protect us, You matter because you support us. And moms, you also matter because you teach us. You matter because you teach us. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, if you've got a text. 2 Timothy 1, 5, and then we'll be over in chapter 3. 2 Timothy 1, 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his son in the faith, a guy named Timothy, one of the earliest church pastors, one of the earliest church leaders. And in 1, 5, Paul writes this to Timothy. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. And then flip over to 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. You have been taught, Paul speaking to Timothy again, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So here's Timothy. He's one of the earliest church pastors, one of the earliest church leaders, the Apostle Paul's son in faith. But it's incredibly important to note that Timothy didn't learn about what it means to know and follow God from Paul or from Peter. Timothy never sat at the feet of the great formal teachers of faith in Israel and learned about what it is to know and follow and serve God. Instead, watch this, Timothy learned to love God and serve him and trust him from his mom, a woman named Eunice. And Eunice, Timothy's mom, she learned about what it was to know and follow and serve God from her mother, a woman named Lois. You have this multi-generational passing on of faith in Jesus Christ that happens. That's the way it's supposed to work, moms. 
And moms, you teach us a whole lot of stuff, don't you? You teach us how to tie our shoes. You teach us how to read. You even teach us how to chew with our mouths closed, which is a challenge, certainly. And yet, the very most important thing that we could, you could ever teach your kids is the lessons of the faith of Jesus Christ, of what it means to know God and follow God and serve God and trust God. That's the most important thing, moms, that you could ever teach to your kids. And you do that. And because you do that, you matter. You absolutely matter. You matter because you teach us. You matter because you support us. You matter because you protect us. And moms, get this. While all of your supporting and all of your protecting and all of your teaching has generally positive connotations to it with incredible power to help your children grow into the people that God intends for them to become, there is a heavy responsibility. There is a great weight to your role of protecting and teaching and supporting because while those same seemingly positive inputs are good, they can also actually cause your kids incredible harm, if you know what I mean. And I think about it in terms of shadows. Let me unpack this just a bit for you. A few summers ago, a guy named John Ortberg, he talked over at the Leadership Summit about what he calls a person's shadow mission. And see, God gives us all a mission that is a subpart, that is a piece of his mission, doesn't he? And the mission that God gives to us all is the very highest purpose in our life frankly. Nothing matters more. But on our way toward the fulfillment of the mission that God has bestowed upon our lives and invited us to be a part of, that mission very often gets subverted. It gets hijacked, causing a degeneration of our hearts. See, And it's at that point, the degeneration of our hearts, that this thing that Ortberg calls the shadow mission creeps into our lives at the point where our authentic mission has been hijacked, derailed not allowed to fulfill the mission that God has invited and called us to be a part of. Moms, let me put this to you in some terms that we've been talking about already. Let's just say, moms, that you grew up in, let's just pretend for a moment, that you grew up in a lousy home, a rotten home, and you had a no-good mom. Now, your mom wasn't no good intentionally. It's just that she was young and she was doing everything in her power that she knew to do, but that caused her to make an awful lot of mistakes, which you were the recipient of. Now let's just say, moms, that you managed to come out of that upbringing relatively unscathed. Sure, you've got a few wounds, you've got some battle scars, you've got some baggage, you've got some damage, but compared with what could have been, you're not in too bad a shape. Well, let's just say you go off to college then, as a young woman, and you meet Mr. Perfect, and you graduate from college, and you get married. And after you get married, you do that thing, and next thing you know, you're expecting a baby. You know what that thing is. You're all very smart, bright people. And you and your husband, your new husband, you're not exactly skilled at the rearing of children, right? So you happen to be a part of a church community, and you see about these parenting classes, and you're like, oh man, we're pregnant. We better get in on that. And so you sign up for a parenting class to gain some general parenting knowledge. Then you're like, okay, we're going to need more help than just that parenting class is providing us. So you watch across the life of your community, your church community, for some time, and you pick out the very best parents that you could find, 
And then you sidle up next to him and you say, hey, I've been, we've been watching you and we need your help. We're about to have a kid and we would like you to be our mentoring couple. And they're like, sure, glad to help you. And you ask them to very practically help you, coach you with the challenges of being a new parent. And so the pregnancy is going along and mom, your belly is growing bigger and bigger and bigger and one day you're at home and all of a sudden your water breaks and the next thing you know, you're on the way to the hospital, you're laboring and <gasps> whoa, your first kid, right? Here you are. And that is an incredible moment, is it not? And after a couple of days in the hospital, you bring that brand new sweet baby home and you are so incredibly focused on being a great mom and you are so focused on protecting and supporting and teaching that kid just like the moms from the text that we talked about today did. And you are so incredibly focused on fulfilling the mission that God's given you with that kid, which by the way, is to grow them into a completely committed Christ follower. That is your goal as a mom. That is your goal as a parent to grow them to become a completely committed Christ follower. And you're using all these tools, these fantastic tools that you've picked up from your parenting class, from your mentoring couple who's coaching you every step of the way. And moms, I want you to know that is all well and good. That is fantastic, as a matter of fact. But I also want you to know that even with all of that fantastic and great input, you are still, as a mom, in danger of the shadow mission hijacking and derailing the mission that God's given you to raise that kid into a completely committed Christ follower. And here's why. Because that shadow mission, remember, is your authentic mission hijacked and derailed by what? By your woundedness, by your baggage, by your stuff, the stuff that might have been inflicted upon you from your earliest days by your mother who may have never intended to do such harm but you carry that harm with you to this day and moms I want you to know it does not matter how good of a mom that you want to be if you've left your baggage if you've left your woundedness if you've left your damage unattended to I promise it will hijack every one of your good intentions of motherhood and parenting I've been messing around a little with uh, these shadow puppet things. Do you know what shadow puppets are? How many of you know what a shadow puppet is? Do you ever make them, anyone? Make a shadow puppet? Well, all right then. I'm just going to show you. What is that one? A what? Mm-hmm. It's either one, whatever you want it to be. A crocodile or an alligator. Yep. Uh, let's see. How about this one? What's that one? A mule, somebody said. It's a good thing you didn't use the other word. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a horse or mule or whatever you'd like it to be. Now this, I'm going to hold this up because you, you, you aren't going to believe me. Can I get it in there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an elephant right there. Now watch. I'll show you how it's an elephant. Oh, there's the light. Mm -hmm. This is the trunk right down here. This is a tusk, and this is a tusk. And here's its mouth. See? Mm -hmm. How about this one? What's that? I actually don't know what it is. 
It's just the easiest one now. Ah, there's this one. What's that? A what? What is it? A snail. All right, better do it again. What is it now? Quick. That's the devil. Really? Watch. There's his nose and there's his goatee thing. Right? And there, there's his, his eyes, hard to make. Yeah, there we go. And then here's his little horns. Yeah, see? The power of suggestion. And I just want you to know that I learned those on my own time this week. You did not pay me to learn those, right? Did that on my time. And uh, depending on what I did with my hands out here, it changed the shadow that eventually got cast, did it not? Like I messed with them a little bit and that affected the shadow that was cast up here. Here's what I want you to know, moms, that your damage and that your woundedness and that your baggage, if left unattended to, will cast a frightening shadow across all of your best attempts to be the mother that God wants and invites and calls you to be in your children's lives. If you leave that stuff unattended to, it will cast a frightening even shadow across your parenting. Because see, if you're not working on your own stuff with the Lord, I don't just mean going off into a corner by yourself and just working on it. I mean working on your stuff with the Lord, working on your woundedness, working on your baggage toward healing with God, all of your protecting and all of your supporting and all of your teaching of your kids is absolutely subject to being hijacked and derailed all simply because of your undealt with past. It's subject to a shadow mission. It's subject to you actually causing great harm in the lives of your children. Your woundedness, if left to itself, will cast a frightening and harmful shadow across your ability to parent to your full redemptive potential that God intends. And moms, I want you to know that lots of Mother's Day messages in church are all about the things, all of the things that you can do to be a better, more nurturing, more loving, more godly mom. Most of those Mother's Day messages involve lists of things that the great mothers of the Bible did that made them such excellent moms, and you just need to be more like them. And that's fine, that might have a place, certainly. But I am not at all persuaded, moms, to load you up with a big, long list of to-dos for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Here's 49 things. Instead, all of this stuff comes down to just one truth. It lands in just one place for me, and it's this. The very best, and I mean it, the very best thing that you can do as a mom to be the mom that God wants you to be, to be the mom that God calls you to be, to be the mom that God invites you to be, is to personally press in with the Lord toward the healing and toward the making right of the wounds and the baggage and the damage that you are carrying with you from your past growing up that might have been unintentionally inflicted upon you by your mother or anyone else for that matter. Because see, a healthy, an uninhibited, an unhindered personal relationship with God equals 
a healthy and life-giving, mothering relationship with your kids, when the shadow that your mothering casts is bright and cheery and life-giving and healthy, not the devil shadow, scary, right? And I also want you to know that as I challenge you to that, moms, that I'm not just gonna leave you to sit in it. But I want you to know that there are a lot of people around this place who have given their lives to helping you work out that stuff from your past. There's a lot of people around here who would be more than happy to walk alongside of you pressing into that stuff, you and the Lord, toward healing and health and well-being and undoing some of the stuff from your past. All you have to do is invite us alongside of you, moms. That's all you have to do. One of the best ways you can do that is by using that card that's in your chairs that are in front of you. And I want you to know that there's no shame, there's no condemnation. All you're gonna get is somebody who genuinely loves and cares about you, who is gonna nestle up next to you and walk with you for as long as it takes to press into that stuff. And it'll be worth it. It'll be well worth it. And dads, here's what I wanna say to you, husbands and dads and fathers. In order for moms to get some of that very hard and very important work done, we're gonna have to open up some space, some time for our wives, our spouses to get that done. And so when your wife comes to you and says, hey, I'm doing this stuff, I'm pressing into this stuff because I wanna be the best mom that I can possibly be, but it's gonna take some time, it's gonna take me having some meetings and some opportunities to get away and sort through some of these things with the Lord, then just husbands, nod your head, yes, gladly, make the space, make the time, whatever it takes, hire a babysitter, it will be worth it. Moms, don't leave here today without pressing into that. Don't leave here today without cementing a plan for what you're going to do to work on your past, to work on you and the Lord healing up the damage and the baggage and the history and the stuff that's in the rearview mirror that you wish wasn't there, but man, it's there. Make a plan and then we'll help you walk it out gladly. Why don't you set your stuff aside and just go to prayer, you and the Lord. Just close your eyes and bow your heads and just speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart. Could I ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for the rest of our time? This first piece here that I want to sort of interject into your processing time with the Lord, this isn't just for moms, this is for just human beings, all of us. Maybe you're here today and you're someone who has an incredibly difficult time on Mother's Day. Maybe you grew up with a difficult mom, maybe you grew up with no mom. Maybe your mom prematurely passed away for a variety of reasons. And so this day just conjures up a whole lot of stuff for you. It's a tough day. God wants you to know today that he's with you. That he knows that it's a hard day. That he cares. And that he wants to be involved 
intimately involved with you starting right now with the process of healing up whatever wounds are around this Mother's Day deal for you. And I just challenge you to invite the Lord into that place of pain, whatever it is around Mother's Day. And invite Him to start working in your heart. Maybe you hold bitterness toward your mom. Ask God to release the stranglehold of bitterness. Ask Him to start the forgiveness process between you and your mom or you and whoever it might be. If this is an especially difficult day for you today, I just invite and challenge you to transact whatever business you need to do with God toward setting that right so that you could actually look forward to Mother's Day next year. And then this next piece is just for you moms. Maybe you're realizing, Mom, that your primary mission of motherhood has been hijacked by some shadow mission. Probably because of stuff in your past that's never been taken care of with the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you realize that you've got some hard, difficult pressing in to do with God around getting yourself to a place of health so that you can be the mom that God intends for you to be. If that's you, please don't leave this room today without setting that plan in concrete. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite one of those people from Journey alongside of me. I'm going to press in. I'm going to make the time. I'm going to prioritize this because I want the shadow that my parenting casts to be good and life-giving and nurturing and healthy, not damaging. And then maybe there's some of you moms who are here today. This process of becoming the mom that God intends for you to be just simply needs to begin with you stepping into a relationship with God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you haven't come to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sin bearer, your forgiver. And if you've never trusted Jesus with your soul through a personal relationship with Him, what's keeping you from doing that today, Mom? What's keeping you? If that's you, you can move into a relationship with God right now, right here. You can do that by praying along with me a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have, but today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. I believe with everything in me that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, starting today, I'm asking you to become my friend. I'm asking you to change me. I'm asking you to clean my life up, God. I'm asking you to help me with the shadow that my parenting, that my mothering casts, God. And if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, there's not a bigger deal ever. And it's such a big deal that around here we ask people to tell us when they made that decision and Nobody's going to embarrass you. I'm the only person looking around this room. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you prayed with me just then to yield your life to Jesus Christ, would you be so bold as to just slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and just say, yes, I stepped into a relationship with Jesus today. I crossed the line of faith with him today. 
you go, and you too right there. God's changing you right now, both of you. God, thank you so much for our moms. Thank you so much for this fantastic concept of motherhood that is yours, God. Created and born out in your very heart, God. I pray for the moms of this community called Journey Church that they would feel esteemed and valued and cared for and held in the highest of regard. And God, I pray that as moms around this place set their hearts toward casting the shadow that you would have them cast across their parenting, that you would give them courage for that journey, Father. That as they press in with you, as they press in with somebody from around here who's helping them in that process, God, that they would be strengthened and emboldened and even sense, God, that you're carrying them along in that process, Father. I pray, God, that we children would esteem our moms, not elevating them to a place of godness, just esteeming them for being people who are highly valued by you and in your kingdom, Father that we would see our moms for who they are, for who you made them to be. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much again for who you are, for you sending your son Jesus Christ to live and to die for us and for these fantastic moms, God. We give them to you, they're yours. We commend them to your love and care. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.